بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد We've been going through the various principles of the path and the last time we covered the very important aspect of being satisfied with Allah's decree because if we're not satisfied with it then we will be in a lot more misery because when you don't know why something has happened and you got nobody to give you contentment for it then it's a much more miserable situation um, as opposed to that if there's some difficulty and you know that there must be some good behind it or after it or there's a good there's a wisdom behind it it just becomes easier because that's how humans function so that's why taqdeer and qadr is extremely important for anybody to make any kind of um, to get any kind of success when you want to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala otherwise it's going to be very difficult because the smallest issues will push us down now he says that the the next principle which he says is uh, principle number five is ittiba'u shaykhin arifin qad salaka tariqa ahlillahi ala yadi shaykhin kathalik ila an yantahiya ila rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wasallam I think we started that discussion last time the fifth principle is to find and to follow a shaykh who is who has recognition who has awareness of the path and who has awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who himself has who himself has traversed the path of the Ahlullah at the hands of another Shaykh similar until that chain reaches up to the Messenger of Allah So a Shaykh who's been accomplished and who's studied at another Shaykh and who's been supervised by another Shaykh and so on and so forth up to the Prophet وَمَنْ لَمْ يَسْحَبْ شَيْخًا يَدُلُّهُ عَلَى الطَّرِيكِ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَاسْتَقَلَّ بِمَا عِنْدَهُ مِنْ عِبَادَةٍ وَعِلْمٍ فَقَدْ تَعَرَّضَ لِإِغْرَاءِ الشَّيْطَانِ لَهُ Anybody who doesn't take a shaykh and do it that way, but rather just does it based on their own research and so on, then they're setting themselves up. They're basically putting themselves up to be deluded by the shaytan. Because clearly a person alone, even it's quite simple that if I go to a new city or a new town, if I visit Athens for example, and I want to just do it myself, I could do it. But if I get a local guide, right, a driver or whatever, he's going to be able to show me a lot more than what I would be able to do with my little car that I hired and I'm going around. I'm probably going to get a parking ticket because I've probably not parked in the right place. I'm probably going to... And it's happened. I mean, we were recently somewhere and uh, there were several things we wanted to see. Uh, but we were plotting the path ourselves. And we found out at the end of the day that there were one or two other places that were in such close proximity that it would have just been a few extra minutes of walk and we could have accomplished them at the same time but then we had to go back the next day for that so have a local guide who's been there who's done that clearly makes a lot of sense so anybody who's just trying to do it himself trying to work it all out himself then that's an unprecedented path the reason is that even for the Sahaba you had the Prophet if you start from there and for the Sahaba, you had the Prophet 
the Prophet ﷺ was obviously divinely inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He had Jibreel ﷺ come and ask him questions and guide him and tell him different things and bring him revelation and bring him other things. And he had direct inspiration from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. This is human beings. We learn from one another. Very few people can get by in anything. And as I said, to be able to get by on yourself, aside from just the know-how, you need a lot of self-discipline. So it's not just about know-how as well. It's a lot of self-discipline. I may know everything, but can I be diligent? Can I be regular? Right? Can I, can I have the discipline to always do it right? Now, it's, it's much easier when you've got somebody to watch over you. Right? Of course, that person needs to be the right person. Otherwise, you know, there, there is that dynamic. There's, there's a whole different dynamic in that case. But that's why congeniality with your own sheikh is extremely important. So that's why he's saying <clears throat> that any person who tries to do it alone, not to say it's impossible, but generally, they are setting themselves up to be deluded by uh, the shaitan. And that's why it has been said, Man la lahu Right? This is not an absolute statement, but whoever doesn't have a sheikh, then shaitan is his sheikh. Now one is, uh, I mean, some people take this to the extreme, and they actually start telling everybody that your sheikh must be shaitan because you don't have a sheikh. Right? And some people, mashallah, you know, um, there's one friend of mine, he's much older than me, but he's a really nice man. And I think he's just a natural wali of Allah. Like a natural wali of Allah. He's probably born like that because he's such a nice guy. His father was a sheikh as well. So he took bay'ah at his, his, his father's hands. And his father said, you don't even need to do it. He's such a nice person. May Allah bless him. He's still alive, mashallah. Um, he's such a nice person that his father said, you don't even need to do it. Right? Whereas for everybody else, even his other brothers, whatever, his father was their sheikh. But for him, he said, you don't even need to do it. He took it. You get, you get the barakah, etc. But you're already accomplished. No, that's just the way Allah has made us with different challenges. Some of us don't have a greed problem. Some of us don't have stinginess problem. Some of us don't have a problem of being very extroverted and wanting to be in the limelight all the time. But then there's others among us, many of us, do have those problems, so we need to work on those things. It's just the way it is. So to, to, to use this to beat people up with is not right as well, this statement. But at the same time, I think there is truth in it as well. Because especially a person who's self-deluded, who can't see that self-delusion, then the shaitan is going to delude that person even further it's the perfect vehicle for shaitan to just take over Allah protect us that's why it's always good to be in some kind of within some kind of uh, system it just helps because people look out for you people look out for you that's very important right so then he's saying wabil <clears throat> jumla in summary, من لم يسلك على يد شيخ عارف فلا يمكنه التركي إلى من منازل القرب. This is something he's saying, right? He's he's claiming and he's saying he's asserting that anybody who does not embark on this path or traverse this path at the hands of a knowledgeable sheikh, not a non-knowledgeable sheikh, not a charlatan, not an imposter, not a wannabe sheikh then it will not be possible for that person to ascend to the stages of 
proximity and closeness. Walau ata, he's this, Wallahu alam, this is what he's saying, Imam Dardir. Walau ata bi ibadati thakalain. Even if the person is performing the worship of the humans and the jinn. Because doing worship is one thing, right? Remember, I know many of us are just even struggling with even doing worship. So this is a much higher level he's speaking about where we're doing worship, but we're also committing haram. That's why a lot of ulama have explained that it's not only about how much you pray and how much tahajjud you can do and how you dress and so on. It's also about how much you avoid and how much taqwa you have. That's why if a person is just doing enough, meaning all the fara'id, all the obligations, and he's not doing anything optional, nothing extra, but he avoids, he or she avoids all the harams, I'm very careful about that. Like just tries to avoid, is very scrupulous and tries to avoid a lot of doubtful matters as well. But they're not able to do too much good additional worship, optional worship. That person, compared to a person who's doing a lot of optional worship as well, maybe he's even, you know, the president of the ISOC, maybe he's even, you know, an alim, maybe he's in a sheikh, but they've got, they're doing wrongs as well. They're not too careful about that. There's many things that are loose about that then maybe the other person is better because at least there's no harm coming to them. They may not be getting any extra bonuses, but they're not getting harmed, harmed either. Whereas this person may be getting a lot of bonuses, but then he's being harmed as well, which is chipping away, which is eating away. And the danger of that is this. Uh, Shah Waliullah in his Hujjatullah al-Bariga, he's explaining something very interesting. He says, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, the whole idea that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at your heart and the sentiment in your heart. That's very important. He gives an example of a person who missed a prayer or missed a worship because just couldn't make it. For example, nowadays Asr and Maghrib is coming very close together. You left work thinking that I'll get home in 15 minutes and it'll be Asr time still before Maghrib and I'll pray. Ran into traffic. There's no way you can stop. There's no masjids on the way. There's no place you can stop. You're stuck. Bang. In traffic, you missed your Asr. You feeling you are feeling so bad, right? You've made a mistake, or somebody, okay. That compared to he says a person who is praying, but the reason he's praying is because everybody around him prays. For example, in his workplace, and it'll look really odd if you don't pray. Or in the munafiqin, as uh, Allah says in the Quran, kusala. When they stand for prayer, they stand with laziness. Nas. They're only doing it to show people. Because in those days in time, Rasulullah, if you didn't come to the masjid, you were a munafiq. So to avoid that label, to avoid being found out, but they had no iman inside at all. Which is a better person? The person who missed a prayer or the person who's just done a prayer in those particular circumstances. Likewise, if you look at it from another perspective, there's a person who's done sin. In a moment of passion, moment of weakness. He was out somewhere with friends, they did it, he did it as well. But it felt extremely bad afterwards, extremely guilty. That's one person. 
Then you've got another person who has started committing sins, has started justifying them. They've become part and parcel of his life. He doesn't even feel guilty anymore. That's a massive problem. And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains in the Quran. He says, Bala man kasabat sayyatan wa ahatat bihi khati'atuhu wa ahatat bihi khati'atuhu fa ulaika ashabun nar. The one who, Bala man kasabat sayyah, the one who does a sin, who perpetrates a wrong deed. Now again, that could happen at a whim. It could happen in a moment of weakness. It can happen when you're just being wrong place, wrong time. And you feel bad about it. وَأُحِيطَتْ بِهِ خَطِيئَتُهُ doesn't happen in that case. أُحِيطَتْ بِهِ خَطِيئَتُهُ means, or أَحَاطَتْ بِهِ خَطِيئَتُهُ in this case, is means that now his state has become of sin. His wrongfulness has overwhelmed him. It's taken over him. His whole mindset is wrong now. That's the difference between those people who commit sins every now and then and make tawbah and feel bad and doesn't make it their state to the person who's made it his state it's become the norm it's become you it's become us that's what it is that's what Allah will punish for that's why people who live in this world 60, 70, even 100, 120 years in kufr the reason why it's khalidina fiha abada in the hellfire and some people may question this idea and say that why infinite time in hellfire for only a hundred years of sin or 50 years or 30 years? It's because it's not about the number of days or number of years. It's about the state. It's become the person's state. If this person remained alive for 700, a thousand years as before, it'd be the same thing. So we have to be really careful about what our state is. Right? An odd sin here and there is bad, but it's not, it's not the same as, I don't want to say it's, you know, it's not bad, because of course it's bad, but you know what I mean, it's, people are going to sin, this is what the Prophet said, that you will sin. That's why one of the descriptions of a wali of Allah is the one who, when they commit a sin, they pick themselves up, dust themselves off, make tawbah, make istighfar and move on and feel guilty and remorseful. Same as a person. Can Just think about it. Somebody's in a fight. Now, to get into the ring, if you have no training, you have no strength, no iman inside, right? Which means you've got no stamina, you've got no power, you get knocked out with one, you fall down, you can't get up again. That's not a wali of Allah. The wali of Allah is who's got the training, who's got the iman inside, the strength inside, that even when he gets knocked down or falls down, he can get back up, dust himself off and carry on going. If you take that same example, you may commit a wrong, you may commit a mistake because we're human beings, we could make that mistake, but you make a difference. You get up and you carry on. It's not, Your sin doesn't overwhelm you and it doesn't become your state. Some of us, Allahu Akbar, certain sins have become our state and we don't even recognize that. And even the people around us justify it for us because they've all the same or we've convinced them. Can you imagine that? We've convinced people around us, especially if you're kind of a leadership person, that this is the right way to do it and they all believe you as well. 
Allahu Akbar, Allah help us, Allah help us. That's why never let it become your state. Never let it overwhelm you to such a degree that you become convinced by the wrongdoing. We, only, we can only ask Allah to help us because we won't even realize it. It's like anybody who drinks from this water is going to change and they won't know they're going to change or that they would change. So now everybody in the village has drank from that water and they've all changed but they don't know they've changed. That's really messed up, man. That's, that's a really difficult thing to even think of. We ask Allah for help. We ask Allah for help. So anyway, he, he says that you could be doing all the worship that you want, but if you don't have somebody to point out your flaws for you, you may be continuing with your flaws as well. You're going to be missing out so much. So it's not just about worship. I want to put this in perspective. Otherwise, when you just read this, it's like, guy's done ibadah of the jinn and the human beings. And he's saying that he can't get close to Allah? Well, he could, but he may not. Because there could be so much wrong that we're doing as well. Anyway, he says that وَعَلَامَتُهُ أَسَّخَاءُ وَحُسْنُ الْخُلُقُ وَالشَّفَقَةُ عَلَى خَلْقِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَعَدَمِ إِنْكِبَابِهِ عَلَى جَمْعِ الدُّنْيَا He's saying, what is the sign of a good shaykh then? The sign of a good shaykh, number one, is sakha, Generosity. Not that he just gives a lot of sadaqah, that's not what it is. It's, it's generosity with, with time and everything because you can't have a shaykh who doesn't have time. Then he's not a shaykh because you don't have a time, he doesn't have time for you. Right? Shaykh needs time. Husnul khuluk, good character. Otherwise, he'll drive you away. Right? Shafaqa ala khalqillah, he must have compassion on the creation. He must have compassion for others. He must want to benefit them. You must want to benefit them. Otherwise, if they're selfish, just worried about themselves, they don't want to benefit anybody else. And the person must not be just fully engrossed in gathering the bounties of this world. And he's not somebody who just goes around with all of the right terminology of the Sufis. Right? He's not one who just goes around throwing out major terminologies. Right of you know of the Sufis or the great scholars and so on, but no, it's a reality. And a person وَعَدَمُ الشِّكْوَى مِنْ ضِيْكِ الدُّنْيَا أَوْ مِنْ إِعْرَاضِ النَّاسِ عَنْهُ The person isn't never going to complain that I've got constraints in this world. I don't have enough. I don't have this. I don't have that. Anybody who complains about that is not somebody you want to be with, because they're worried about the dunya. They're worried about not having enough. Or that people are, I don't get enough people that come to me. I don't get enough people that come and be my murids. I don't get enough people that come and sit in uh, my majlis. I don't get enough people calling me up. I don't get enough people praising me. I don't have enough people sitting with me, turning to me. They're going to that shaykh. They're going to that shaykh. والانكسار مخير الذل والانكسار I think it's وحب الخمول and generally the person generally the uh, he should be such a person that um, you should be able to uh, see humility and um, humility and uh, humbleness about him and the love for خمول love for uh, being low key um, and the people he does have around him 
this is one of the biggest signs that the people he does have around him you should be able to see his effect on them you should be able to see that upon them they've got baraka <coughs> the people around him mashallah they with baraka right and salah uh, which is righteousness you see that it's there wahada yeah so that's generally a good sign that something's happening there of course nowadays it's very difficult to find people that meet all the conditions so you go with the best that you can that that's what generally has been said you get the best you can you, if you're going to look for somebody with everything it's um, although it'd be wonderful to have that but it's just very difficult but i i believe that if you keep asking allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to find you the right person and you keep reading Allahumma rizukna hubbak wa hubba man yanfa'una hubbuhu indak oh Allah grant us your love and the love of those whose love will benefit us in your courts then inshallah Allah will give us somebody that can help us in that sense then he says وَهَذَا مَأْخُوذُ مِنْ قَوْلِنَا وَاتَّبِعْ فِي سَيْرِكَ السَّبِيلَ أَيْ طَرِيقَ النَّاسِكِينَ الْعُلَمَاءِ جَمْعُ عَالِمْ وَهُوَ الْعَارِفِ الْأَحْكَامِ الشَّرِيعَةِ الَّتِي عَلَيْهَا مَدَارُ he said that's why follow and adhere to in your path in your in your traversing this path you should adhere to and you should follow the path of the nasikin the nasikin means the worshippers the devout people who are alimin who are uh, ulama who are who are knowledgeable and uh, the, the, the alim, what he means by the alim here is the one who is knowledgeable of the ahkam of the sharia the ahkam of Islamic law the, uh, he's, he's, he's knowledgeable of Islamic law uh, upon which you know, he knows as much as is sufficient to make sure that his aqidah is correct and his actions are in place so if you've got somebody who uh, may know quite a bit, but they don't have sufficient knowledge in Aqidah and that's why they have some wacky ideas. Or there may be somebody who has Aqidah is correct, but their actions and their knowledge about actions and they may be involved in bid'at, in, so other, uh, in, in other innovations and that, then that should be avoided as well. So he says the best people that you're going to be able to follow and get a temperament and an understanding of, he says, Wal muradu bihim as salih the first generation, the early generations, the stories that you hear about the Sahaba and the Tabi'een. That's your, going to be your best role model. Then he says, وَمَنْ تَبِعَهُمْ بِإِحْسَانٍ Anybody who's actually followed them in excellence, those who want to be like them, not those who criticize them, not those who condemn them, not those who innovate and come up with new wacky ideas, but rather those who want to be as close to the early Generations, everybody claims that anyway nowadays. Right? We're closer to the Salaf than you are. Everybody claims that. Subhanallah. Right? He says, and their path is going to be very restricted in terms of you know what they believe. It's very. It's going to have to be very clearly known what their aqidah and their ilm and their amal is. Waftarak, I mean, because he's basically saying that the early ones they were quite, um, they were they they were quite unified in their aqidah and in their knowledge and in their action. 
And yeah, we had heresy at that time. In the early generation, we had some heresy. But that was weeded out. It was clearly known. It's much easier to figure out a heresy of history than it is to figure out what a heresy is of your own time. Because you're in the thick of it. So, in hindsight, something that happened 500 years ago, or a thousand years ago, it's already been sifted out. And the haq and the truth has prevailed. And whatever was aberrant and wrong has been sifted out and it's been condemned and it's been highlighted clearly. But those same things will come about again today in just a new form. Or similar things will come about in a new form. And they, they're, delusive. They're, they're very delusive. They, they cause a lot of delusion for us. So that's the complication. But I just say that, look, it's very simple. Anybody who's claiming to come up with something new today, right? As though 1,200 years, 1,300 years, even 1,000 years of people have been wrong. Then that's just going to be wrong anyway. You might as well just come up with a new deen. Like, well, why try to take this deen and disappropriate it? You know, like, misappropriate it. Why don't you just make a new deen? That's quite simple, isn't it? So I think that's one thing. The other thing that we generally try to look at is what do the other ulama think? Because at the end of the day, we may all get messed up, but the ulama can't all be messed up. Right? They can't all be corrupt. So generally, I always say, ahl, as Allah says, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask the people of knowledge if you don't know. Ask the people of knowledge if you don't know. So see what, what majority of ulama think. You're always going to get radical voices. You're always going to get radical voices. You're always going to... Now, not every radical voice is incorrect. You have to remember that because sometimes the majority may be involved in some kind of lassitude or some may just be too relaxed and somebody wants to really point something out. But um, so the matter is difficult. It's a fitna. That's what you call a fitna. It's difficult. We ask Allah for help. We ask Allah for help. So then he says, those who came after them, that, that, oh, those who came after those first generations, unfortunately he says, um, well, Okay, what he's saying is that the earliest generation, whether it came to belief system, whether it came to actions, amal, and whether it came to knowledge, they had it all. Those people were comprehensive role models. Comprehensive. They had all three. They mastered everything. They were masters of everything. But he says, unfortunately, later on, that became too much for people, scholars to accomplish. So he says, generally what then happened, and he's talking about early generations, not even our generation yet. After maybe the 4th or 5th century, 3rd, 4th, 5th century, he says, then people became more exclusively uh, more known for one particular uh, one particular aspect over the other. It doesn't mean that they didn't know the other, the other aspects at all, but they became more predominantly knowledgeable in one over the other. So that's why he said that after these initial generations who were masters of everything, he says, you had people split up, right? So uh, um, some became the imams of the deen, right? It's necessary to follow them, and there's three general categories. One is the category that exerted themselves to provide an exposition and details of the ahkam, of the practical ahkam of the deen, the practical laws of the deen. 
How do you make salat? What breaks prayer? What's a fard in prayer? What in fasting? What in judicial? All of these things. They, these are the fuqaha, the jurists. So they became predominantly just focused on that. Primary focus. It doesn't mean that they didn't know their aqidah. Of course they knew their aqidah. But they weren't, that, that was not what they were constantly working on. They were primarily constant, uh, working on their aqidah. Sorry, on their, uh, on their deen. Right? وَفِرْقَةٌ نَصَبَتْ نَفْسَهَا لِلْأَشْتِغَالِ بِبَيَانِ الْعَقَائِدِ Then you had those who focused on theology. Their whole focus was to protect the Islamic beliefs from heterodox ideas, corrupt ideas, and these other radical ideas. So their focus became that. Now as you can see, you, can, you probably already got in your mind people like Hassan Basri, who was also a faqih and he was also a theologian, and he's also a great Sufi. That's the early generation. They were masters in everything. If you were to read the tafsir books, you'll see Qal al-Hasan, Qal al-Hasan. Hasan says, Hasan says. His opinions are mentioned in there. If you read the books of fiqh, he's got opinions in fiqh. Right? And if you, if you read Aqidah books, well, he's got opinions in Aqidah books. In fact, the Mu'tazila, they separated from him, the earliest Mu'tazila. But later on, um, even Imam Abu Hanifa was known to be a great theologian before he actually became a great jurist. And then he's known for his piety as well. But as you move along, then people became more fixed, right? Because there was only so much you could do. I think the dunya just became stronger uh, and the, the, the light of prophecy, you know, is further away. So it's difficult. So he says that, of course, we're talking about the four imams and uh, others who followed them from among the mujtahideen, right? Among the jurists. لَكِنْ لَمْ يَسْتَقِرْ مِنَ الْمَذَاهِبِ الْمَرْضِيَّةِ سِوَى مَذَاهِبِ الْأَئِمَّةِ الْأَرْبَعَ So he says, obviously in the early days, along with the four madhabs that we know of now, there were uh, Imam Abu Ja'far al-Tabari had a madhab, uh, Layth ibn Sa'ad in Egypt had a madhab, Imam Awza'i in uh, Syria, Sham had a madhab, uh, Ibn Hazm al-Zahiri, all of these people, there were many madhab that started off, because there were no madhabs at the time. Madhabs are later development. But eventually, over the course of the generations, they all fizzled out. They didn't have enough attraction, they didn't have enough students. It's the four that survived. The, the, the ummah, the ulama, the vast majority of ulama all agreed that, okay, khalas, these four are enough now. We're going to stick to these four and they represent Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah now. That's, that's basically how this came up. So that's why he's saying that... Um, then the second group is نَصَبَتْ نَفْسَهَا لِلْإِشْتِغَالِ بِبَيَانِ الْعَقَائِدِ الَّتِي كَانَتْ عَلَيْهَا السَّلَفِ كَانَ عَلَيْهَا السَّلَفِ right? Then you had a group that started, their primary focus became uh, exposition of the theology of the earlier generations. وَهُمُ الْأَشْعَرِي وَالْمَاتُرِيدِي This was Imam Ash'ari and Imam Maturidi. Now they were, Imam Ash'ari, Imam Maturidi is also a jurist of the Hanafi school, but his primary function where he produced the most material is in aqidah is in theology is in beliefs not in the fiqh though he's known in fiqh as well in fact he's got a wonderful tafsir but obviously uh, the, the tafsir his tafsir is quite a large tafsir it's uh, it's based on a lot of theology because that's his dominant streak right so that's why you have the Ash'ari and the Maturidi, وَمَنْ تَبِعَهُمْ And those who follow them, you know, the Baqillani and Imam Al-Haramayn, Al-Juwayni and Ghazali and uh, Razi and, and so on and so forth, Rahimahumullah Ta'ala. And the third group, right, وَفِرْقَةٌ نَصَبَتْ نَفْسَهَا لِلْإِشْتِغَارِ بِالْعَمَلِ 
والمجاهدات. This group said, look, we're not going to be in the studying as much. We're going to do more nawafil and worship and dhikr and so on. Not to say those others weren't doing that. Right? Although many of the names we're taking, they're like early on, they were probably masters of everything anyway. So these are the Sufis. So again, these people, they started to focus on these things. They compiled books on that. They tried to encourage people about these things. And this is, he says, وَهُوَ Imam Abu Al-Qasim Al-Junaid. This is Junaid al-Baghdadi. Abu Al-Qasim, Junaid al-Baghdadi, one of the first of this. He's like one of the, uh, you can say, the founders of this movement in a sense, or this field. Abu Al-Qasim Al-Junaid, وَمِنْ تَبِعَهُ And those who followed him. فَهَاؤُلَاءِ الْفِرَقُ الثَّلَاثَةِ These three groups, these prominent three groups, هُمْ خَوَاصُ الْأُمَّةِ الْمُحَمَّدِيَةِ They are the elect of the our Ummah, of the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَمَنْ عَدَاهُمْ مِنْ جَمِيءِ الْفِرَقِ عَلَى ضَلَالِ Says anybody who doesn't subscribe to the ideas of these people, these three groups, then they are, they are corrupt. They're heterodox, they're deviated. وَإِنْ كَانَ الْبَعْضُ مِنْهُمْ يُحْكُمْ لَهُ بِالْإِسْلَامِ You're not going to call them kafir necessarily, but they're not on the right path. You can't, you can't judge them all to be kafir, but clearly some of them will be kafir, but you can't all judge them to be kafir. You can't judge them all to be kafir. So um, he, he then goes on and then inshallah what we'll do is, we'll, he, he mentions a number of others and it's getting really interesting now because these are just names so far, right? Abu Qasim al-Junaid, it's just a name. Some of us may have heard about him in other places. You may have heard small snippets about something he did or something he said. And then there's a number of others that he talks about. Who are these people? When you start reading about who they are, then you can completely understand what this is all about. So inshallah, in our next uh, session, we'll be looking more at who these individuals were and what made them so great and what put them down in history. We're not going to be able to look at the fuqaha as much or the aqidah scholars as much because that's not our subject. Because remember here we are looking at the, theol uh, the, the, the spirituality aspect here. So inshallah in the next one we'll be looking at uh, who are the founders that first started focusing on this as a separate idea, right? as an emphasized idea. So inshallah that, that will help to put a lot, lot in perspective inshallah. And what you have to remember the earliest ones, nobody doubts them. The controversial ones are those that came later. Abu Qasim al-Junaid, right? Go to any Salafi to anybody, there's nobody that can have a problem with him, right? Because um, a lot of the controversial ideas and, and so on, they, they came later, right? In my other session, in my other series on Tasawwuf, on Sufism, I've explained that. It's a shorter, it's a shorter series. The one here, oh, six, I don't know, four or five lectures or whatever. But in there, it explains, you know, that in a bit more. We'll, we'll talk about that a bit later, maybe. But these early ones, Sariya Saqati, right? Abu Qasim al Junaid, Ibrahim al Adham, there's no, no doubt about these people, right? These are the founders of this Sufism that we've been discussing. And clearly, over the centuries, some corruption has crept in, there's no doubt about that, right? Which makes it. Uh, which for some people, I mean, I just read the other day, they were, uh, they, 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 somebody has written a book on a, a particular scholar of the Ahlul Sunnah Wal Jama'ah, um, but this criticism was coming from uh, another group, 
He said, and he is personally confessing to be a Sufi, as though that's a criticism. Right. Come on, make a difference between what Sufi you're talking about. Don't be so blunt and so, uh, you know, j- just so, um, what do you call it, unacademic that you just, just because you've seen one bad apple, all apples are bad now. That is just a massive fallacy. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant us uh, basira, insight. And above all, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us closeness to him. And may Allah give us the facility of his righteous ones. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. اللهم انت السلام ومنك السلام تباركت يا ذا الجلال والإكرام <تصفيق> اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم اغفر لنا وارحمنا وعافنا واهدنا وارزقنا اللهم اغفر لأمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم اغفر لوالدينا ولمشائخنا ولأساتذتنا ولطلابنا ولإخواننا ولأخواتنا ولأولادنا ولأزواجنا ولكل من له حقنا علينا ولكل من أوصانا بالدعاء Oh Allah we ask you for your mercy We beseech you for your blessing Oh Allah grant us your blessing, your mercy, your forgiveness Oh Allah we want your attention Oh Allah we want your kindness Oh Allah do not make us of the deprived ones Oh Allah grant us complete forgiveness Oh Allah protect us from our states becoming that of kufr or sin. O oh Allah, we make mistakes. O oh Allah, grant us forgiveness for our mistakes. O oh Allah, allow us to see the truth as the truth and allow us to follow it. Allow us to see the wrong as the wrong and allow us to abstain from it. O oh Allah, guide us towards that which is to our benefit. Keep us away from those things which are harmful for us. O oh Allah, the world and the various different things in this world, they appear in front of us and they manifest in front of us as being very attractive. They distract us, they vie for our attention. And O oh Allah, we fall for things, we waste so much time in redundant matters. O oh Allah, we ask that you give us the ability to be disciplined. O oh Allah, to do only that which is beneficial to us for this world or the hereafter. O oh Allah, that you bless us in what you have given us. O oh Allah, that you give us protection. You give us protection in our iman, in our health, in our families. O oh Allah, protect us and protect us in our iman. O oh Allah, there are many things to mislead us and distract us. O oh Allah, to turn away, to turn us away. O oh Allah, keep us focused. O oh Allah, keep us steadfast on your faith. O oh Allah, this steadfastness is so difficult for us. O oh Allah, we have a few good days or a few good hours. And then we go back to how we were before. Oh Allah, <clears throat> give us steadfastness and give us endurance. Oh Allah, grant us your love so that we can have more conviction. Grant us your love and grant us an understanding of the benefits of your love and the benefits of Iman. Oh Allah, make Iman beloved in our hearts. And oh Allah, make anything else dis- hated in our hearts. O oh Allah, make this easy for us. O oh Allah, facilitate for us. Everyone here has spent this Friday evening here because they want to be close to you. O oh Allah, accept us all. Do not allow any one of us to be returning from here without being forgiven and without being closer to you. And O oh Allah, without our lives changing for the better. O oh Allah, otherwise why else would, be here, would we be here? 
Oh Allah, we are here but we are weak. Oh Allah, we don't have much to offer you. But oh Allah, we know that you don't need anything from us. Oh Allah, make the conditions of our heart in the state of goodness. Oh Allah, in the state of piety. Oh Allah, fill our hearts with your love and remove the darknesses and the love and distraction for other things. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and grant us his company in the hereafter. Oh Allah, grant us his company in the hereafter. Fill us with beneficial knowledge and beneficial actions and blessing in what you have given us and protect us and grant us afiyah and well-being. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين